By the time I was eighteen years old, I wanted my mother, who had brought me into the world and deluged me with love, to die. And I said so, out loud. I stood in the kitchen of my aunt's apartment in Newport, Rhode Island, where I was staying for the summer, saving my tips and paychecks from the job I had in a restaurant, clearing tables, so that I could spend the autumn and winter travelling around the United States on greyhound buses. It was the summer of 1988. My aunt Jennifer was two years older than my mother. They were the oldest of four siblings and had been extremely close when they were children. My aunt emigrated from Scotland to the United States, to Boston, the year John Kennedy was assassinated. I had just finished secondary school in Scotland, and when I joined my aunt in this fresh, exciting country, I found in her something that I had not known for years. She was like my mother in so many ways. Her voice, her eyes, a sporadic disdain for decorum. When she had met me off the bus in Providence, on my first day in the States, she had parked illegally, and when we rushed back to her car, she began an argument with the meek-looking, uniformed attendant, who must have been earning just over the minimum wage in his middle years, and whom my lovely aunt loudly called a Nazi. My mother would have done that, but they were different in other ways. Unlike my mother, Jennifer did actually come to pick me up from the bus station. She would do my laundry, watch films with me, make me coffee, share my jokes, treat me to dinner out. She did not argue with me. I could talk with her without constantly censoring myself. When my cousin Christian pierced my ear with a needle and thread and a block of ice, my aunt handed me a brandy from her freezer. And now, in the afternoon before my evening shift at the wharfside restaurant in Newport where I worked, as illegal as my Salvadoran buddies, we were talking about my mother. I don't think I've ever told anyone this, I said, but I think she'd be better off dead. So do I, she said. There was a moment of quiet. Matthew, she said, reaching for the freezer, would you like a brandy? I think she'd be happier dead, I said, taking the glass. She's never going to get better. She just suffers. Her life is worthless and it was unspoken but understood that it would be easier and better for me and for everyone else in the family. I had had in many ways an idyllic childhood, but that seemed many years ago now, and I felt that on many levels it had been a lie or a promise of a future that was then snatched from me forever. Throughout my teenage years, I had increasingly come to feel that my parents had set me up for a fool. My first ten years had been good to live, but were now unbearable to remember. I had begun to close the valve on that particular stream of memories. You shouldn't feel guilty for feeling that, you know, Jennifer said. I don't, I said, and in my blind teenage rage, I really didn't. My mother did not die then, 
but many years later she said to me, I'm ready to die now, Matty. I've been married. I've had my children. I'm ready to die.